G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Well, there are some passages in the Bible so compelling that we dare not ignore their significance. We're turning our attention to the biblical account of creation once again today with the Aussie who's become the best-known creationist in the whole world. You may be familiar with the words of the Apostle Paul who wrote, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. It's significant because being without excuse means we're all accountable, whether Christian or non-Christian, to acknowledge God because of the evidence right under our noses and before our very eyes. Well, Ken Ham is the CEO and founder of Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum and the amazing Ark Encounter in the U.S. state of Kentucky. The centrepiece of the Ark Encounter is that life-size recreation of Noah's Ark based on the Genesis account in the Bible. Ken Ham's also the author uh, who has sold over three million books and our absolute privilege to have him back with us today. Ken Ham, welcome back to 2020. Hey, thank you, Neil. Hey, it's great to be back with you again and great to be actually talking to an Australian uh, over a telephone line here. So that's really great. Uh, just before we get into the serious stuff, Ken, you've got your life-size Noah's Ark. Christmas is coming and you've got it spectacularly decorated, as I understand it. Yeah, in fact, you know, the two attractions that are here in northern Kentucky in the USA, the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, we have over a million lights uh, at both attractions, and it's just absolutely stunning. In fact, people come from all across America to visit. We'll probably have, I don't know, 50,000, 60,000 people starting for us here. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving Day, and then the day after Thanksgiving Day, then our Christmas program starts, and then they go through to the end of the year. And so they pour into the Ark, to the Creation Museum, uh, for our special Christmas programs, as well as to you know see the attractions themselves, the ark is lit up in uh, a rainbow of colours because you know the the rainbow is right there in Genesis nine after the flood when God put a said the rainbow would be a sign a covenant between Him uh, and man and the animals that He will never repeat such an event again. Of course, such an event was a global flood. And then we have all sorts of Christmas concerts and dramas. Our own Christian Academy uh, have dramas. We have a Bible college that comes and does dramas. We have our own resident artists singing Christmas carols, and we have camel rides and all sorts of fun things and food, different food. And at the Creation Museum, the Gardener Lights is so spectacular. We have uh, dinosaurs that were sculpted by Buddy Davis, who sculpted the dinosaurs for the exhibits in the museum. And they're iron dinosaurs scattered all throughout the gardens, uh, done up in lights. So this is is really something. It's really quite stunning, and it's become well-known here in the USA. And as I said, people come from all over America, come into northern Kentucky to visit, and, you know, some people from overseas too. Increasing number of overseas visitors now that, 
you know, the COVID shutdowns are behind us and so on. Well, there's going to be an awful lot more people who are making plans for a visit to the US and might want to put the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum in northern Kentucky on their to-do list while they're there. Ken, the interesting thing here is that when we talk about a creation view of the world, the creation account out of Genesis, you've taken things to a new level. It's not just a conversation or an argument with people who are arguing over creation or evolution, when people are there and they're actually walking into a life-size Noah's Ark and they're seeing the exhibits, there's something beyond the conversation that actually cuts through and, and helps people appreciate God's creation all the more. Well, we really want to help them see the Bible come alive in a very special way. And also, you know, today, well, we know, for instance, over over here in the States, but it's true in the whole of the Western world, uh, most of the younger generations have left the church. Generation Z and millennials, I know in America, are down to less than 9% church attendance now. Church attendance used to be 75 to 80% of the population in America in the 1700s. But I know it's true in, in the whole Western world and in Australia, the younger generations have become so secularized. And what we're doing here is answering these questions, these attacks that people have on the Bible and particularly on the book of Genesis, which is foundational to all doctrine, to the rest of the Bible, to our biblical worldview. And so as they go through the ark or go through the creation museum, we're answering all these questions for them. And how could Noah get all the animals on the ark? And, you know, what about natural selection? And is there any evidence for the flood? And what about the ice age? And what about climate change? And, uh, okay, how do we... How do we understand the Tower of Babel and the three sons of Noah giving rise to 8 billion people on earth today? And what about the so-called racism? So we go through and answer all these questions. And I tell you, people are saved right there in that ark. Uh, They're saved right here at the Creation Museum. That's what it's all about, presenting the gospel uh, in a very powerful way. We don't hide that. We have 30% non-Christians come and particularly to the Ark Encounter, which, you know, the Ark is well-known all over the world. I mean, there are flood legends all over the world, and so that's so well-known. There are, there are little, you know, Arks, even though they're bathtub Arks, so to speak, in, in, in gift stores all around the world. So it's well-known. And, you know, we, I, I stand there and watch, and we've seen Buddhists and Muslims and Orthodox Jews and Catholic nuns and priests and Sikhs, and we have uh, Presbyterians and Baptists and uh, uh, Amish and Mennonite. I mean, it's incredible to see the mix of people that come, and yet they're challenged by the truth of God's word and the saving gospel in a very powerful way. Uh, we, we're sort of we're sort of doing something that's different, and and you know you would never see a mix of people like that come into your local church, but they will come to something like an ark. And they then are challenged. And uh, many of them tell us they, they've never heard these answers before and it really challenges them concerning God's Word. Well, I want to invite listeners to join into our conversation today. Let's open our talkback line on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. You might have a question. It might be a question across the board uh, when it comes to these issues of creation and creation versus evolution. But one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Uh, to be able to talk with Ken Ham today, who is our guest live from the US. But Ken, let's come back to what I said we'd talk about in the beginning. And uh, based on that verse out of Romans chapter 1, verse 20, uh, recognizing this thought that we're all without excuse. Let me just read that verse again. It says, For since the creation of the world, 
God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Uh, Let's talk through about this idea of being without excuse. How do you think of that? Well, you know, it's interesting. A corresponding verse, it really fits well with that. And I'll answer your question here in a second. But is in Second Peter 3, where it says, In the last days, people will be willingly ignorant of creation and of the flood and of the coming judgment by fire. And the willing ignorance means it's a deliberate act on their part. In other words, it's so obvious uh, that God created, so obvious that there was a flood but they're willingly ignorant. They deliberately reject. Sort of reminds me of the religious leaders in Jesus' day who, you know, Lazarus was raised from the dead and they wanted to kill Lazarus to get rid of the evidence. And so Romans one twenty is telling us, hey, if you don't believe in God, uh, it's so obvious as a creator, you're without excuse. And, you know, to give you give a, an example here, one of the examples I use is, for instance, DNA, that molecule of heredity that makes up our, our chromosomes, you know, our genes, all the information that builds a human or a cat or a dog or so on. DNA is not just chemistry. Uh, when DNA was first discovered in 1953 by two atheist scientists, they said, see, we've shown there's no God. That's why we did this research to show life is just a molecule. It's just chemistry. But DNA is like books of information. It, it's, it's got all this information in there. It's got thousands, millions, trillions of bits of information. In fact, there's zillions of bits worldwide in living things. And all that information is all the instructions and how to build every aspect of our physiology and so on. And not only that, all that information has to be read by a language. And, the, and DNA has the information to make the language to read the DNA. It's a code system. Information can't come from matter by itself. It just hasn't happened. We, we've never seen matter produce one bit of information, but there's zillions of bits of information in living things. And matter can't produce a code. You know your computer program, it gets one little problem in the, in the software, and what happens? It, it doesn't work. And so what... It, it, what really DNA is crying out is this. Information comes from an intelligence. A codes or, or, or a languages come from an intelligence. Inform- so DNA is crying out, in the beginning, God created. And you know, DNA is the most complex information system, language system in the entire universe. Here's the interesting thing. Here's an example of being willingly ignorant or without excuse. Think of uh, archaeologists that might go into a cave or somewhere here in America and find... An arrowhead or in Australia maybe find a stone axe and immediately they say intelligence intelligence obviously man was here there's a stone axe look you can see this uh, or, or you know an Indian arrowhead it's obvious it's, it's intelligence well they look at that and say intelligence and get all excited and yet you know, they look at DNA the most complex information system in the entire universe and they say chance there's no God it, it that's why they're willingly ignorant that's why they're without excuse So Paul seems to be saying, and almost asking a question in saying, without excuse, what kind of power would it take to make the world and all that's in it? And when he says God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature, uh, speak of the all-powerful creator, that there has to be a creator. And so Paul drawing attention to one of the questions of our day. Oh, certainly. 
and it is a question of our day. And it's interesting that in Second Peter 3, when it says in the last days, and as you know, we are in the last days. Actually, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years since God's Son uh, became a babe in a manger to be our Saviour. And of course, you know, we're coming up to celebrate that specially at Christmas time. And uh, so, you know, here we have in the last days, they're going to be willing and ignorant of creation. It actually says that there uh, in Second Peter 3. And we certainly find people today being willingly ignorant. They want to reject the creator. And, you know, Neil, there's, there's an important aspect of this. Why do they want to reject the creator? Because that would mean that he owns them. If he created us, he owns us. He has a right to tell us what to do. He has a right to set the rules. Uh, he has a right to tell us what marriage is because he created marriage. No politician ever created marriage. God created marriage, so God defines marriage. God's the one that gives us the rules, the rightful place for sex within marriage, one man for one woman, and so it goes on. God is the author of life. And we live at a time when... People want to be their own God. I mean, that's in Genesis 3, 5, when as part of the uh, temptation, you can be your own God, the serpents. You know, don't listen to God. Uh, and that's what people want to do. They want to write their own rules. Well, when things are before our eyes, uh, the you know, some people simplify this and say, well, look at the trees of the field. Uh, but you're taking us into the depth and whatever new concepts science takes us into, these are actually all, they all fit with the biblical, uh, the biblical narrative here. It's not just something simplistic you're talking about, you're talking about all of the depth as well. Oh, definitely. In fact, here's the thing. The history in Genesis 1 to 11 is actually a history God has revealed to us concerning geology, biology, astronomy, anthropology, and that history is the foundation for our worldview to understand every aspect of reality. And not only that, it's the history that's foundational to all of our doctrine. Because all doctrine, ultimately, is founded in Genesis 1 to 11. Uh, where does sin come from? Genesis 1 to 11. Death, Genesis 1 to 11. Why did Jesus die on a cross? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is he called the last Adam? Genesis 1 to 11. Marriage, Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we wear clothes? Genesis 1 to 11. Seven-day week, Genesis 1 to 11. Uh, why does man have dominion over the creation and not the other way around? Genesis 1 to 11. Why does man have to work? Genesis 1 to 11. Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation of all doctrine. And once you understand and believe that history God has revealed to us, then you can understand why there's death and suffering in the world. It wasn't always like this. Death is an enemy because of our sin. Uh, then we can understand why there are all these different people groups all over the world, because we all go back to the Tower of Babel, where God gave different languages, then back to Noah's sons, and back to Noah, back to Adam. We're all one race. There are great implications here, because what you believe about your geology, biology, astronomy, anthropology determines your worldview in every area. That's why this is so important. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Ken, let's take a call. Ian is in Campbelltown in New South Wales. Hi, Ian. Welcome along. Hi, Neil. Thank you. Um, a question for Ken, if I may. Ken, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Good. Ken, um, I was witnessing to a good friend of mine recently, and he asked me a question I couldn't answer. He said, look... Um, we all come from Adam and Eve um, originally. I said, yes. He said, well, then, why not only are there different uh, races of people around the world, but in particular, why have they got different coloured skin and everyone's different like that? He said, you know, I can't get out of my head around that. So 
and I couldn't answer him. What are your thoughts there, please? <laughs> yeah, that, and, and that's a good question to ask. And um, we actually have some great uh, information on our website, answersingenesis.org, that you can go to and, and get some great answers there. But just very quickly, you see, when take biblical history. There was Adam and Eve. They had sons and daughters. By the time of the flood, a lot of people... Eight people got on that ship, they came off the ship, and the Bible says in Genesis 9, the three sons of Noah and their wives then gave rise to everybody on the earth. Now, as you follow that history through, there was an event called the Tower of Babel, when God gave different languages, and then it says because of that, this is Genesis 10 and 11, then people moved away according to their family groups, according to their language groups. And there was about there's 70, langu- 70 different groups there mentioned in Genesis 10 in the Table of Nations. So they moved away from each other, forming the different cultures we have today. Now, because of all the genetic diversity, all that information God put in our DNA, as they moved away from each other, it depends on who marries who and who dies out and who was separated out and how separated they were from others as to which combinations of genes um, end up you know, have, having the most um, uh, dominant features on the outside. And here's the interesting thing. Everybody, um, everybody is different from each other. Every person differs from one other person uh, by about 0.2% of their DNA. But our outside features represent 0.01% of our DNA. In other words, those features we look on the outside, like skin color, are only minor. And here's the interesting thing. When it comes to skin color, everybody has the same color. That's what people don't understand. We have a pigment called melanin, and it's made in uh, the... In the um, epidermis of our skin there's some uh, cells right at the bottom of the epidermis called melanocytes and they sort of have like these tentacle features but they make this pigment called melanin if you have a lot of melanin you're very dark and you're dark brown you're not black there are no black people there are no white people uh, you either dark brown or you're light brown and anywhere in between. We have the whole range, just like if you go to the paint shop and ask for all the different shades of brown you'd like to paint your house in. And so over time, as people moved away from each other, if, if, if this group, mainly genes for a lot of melanin, were the ones that survived because of who married who, who died out and so on, you end up with a dark skinned group of people over here skin group of people. Actually, the majority of the world's population are middle brown. So with skin color, that's a very easy one to understand. And so the different features we see on the outside are really minor um, in, in, in actuality. We major on them. It's interesting how God reminds us in his word uh, that he doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the inside. And it's the inside that matters. And it's interesting how the world tries to make us look on the outside, which results in all sorts of racism and prejudice and so on. So it was a Tower of Babel event that particularly sorted out the different cultures, people groups, resulting in those you know, different characteristics, but we're all one race. We all go back to Adam, as it says in Acts 17:26. God made one, uh, one blood, all men, uh, all nations and so on, because we're all one race. That's why the gospel is for everyone, because we're all sinners, we're all descendants of Adam, and that's why God's son became one of us. Ken, we'll keep talking about the idea of being accountable, that there is no excuse, but we've got some listeners who've been waiting patiently. Let's take some calls and we'll come back to our conversation. Lawrence is in Perth, WA. Hi, Lawrence. Welcome along. Oh, thanks for your program this morning. Uh, regarding Romans one twelve, where it says God's invisible qualities are clearly seen, this is obviously by mankind. 
These have been seen by mankind since the creation of the world, but the generations in the Bible go back to Adam and Eve, which is around 6,000 years ago. So this verse is also saying the creation of the world is only 6,000 years ago. How come we can see back in the universe for millions of years, however? Did God create the universe millions of years ago, but the earth much later, 6,000 years ago? There may be some simple answers to this, but let's get the expert insight here. Ken, your thoughts for Lawrence. Okay, so three things. Number one, if we take God at his word and just let the, the language speak to us that the Bible is written in, God created everything in six days, and each of those days are ordinary days because the Hebrew word yom, when combined with evening, morning, or number, means an ordinary day, as it does uh, for those six days, which is why Hebrew lexicons like Brown Driver Briggs and so on uh, say those days of creation are ordinary days. The word day can mean other things in other parts of the Bible, but for those six days, it means ordinary days. Adam was made on day six, and then as you read through the genealogies, uh, he begat uh, uh, a son, and then that son begat a son. It gives you the ages all the way through. So those genealogies there in the Old Testament are very tight, and when you add them all up, it comes to about 6,000 years. So that's where the 6,000 years comes from. So if you take the Bible as written, it's only 6,000 years. So what will be the explanation? You know, when God made the sun, moon, and stars, that was on day four. He made light on day one, but not the sun, moon, and stars. They were made on day four. And they were for signs and seasons for the earth, which means you could see them straight away. We got, so one thing is this. The processes God used to create, he's not using today. So we don't know those processes he used to create. They happened. He's finished his work of creation. So we will not understand them. That's number one. Number two, when people say, oh, you're looking out millions of years, you're not. You're looking out to the stars. It, what happens is people say, oh, we know how fast light travels. And if we assume um, that uh, that's the speed it's traveled and we look at the vast distances in space, which we would say are real, uh, those vast distances, therefore there must be millions of years. But here's the thing, there's something wrong with that. Uh, we, we don't even understand space and we don't understand how light travels through space. Uh, space uh, is, is something, we, there's just so many things we don't know. But from an evolutionist perspective, if they take the same assumptions, what they don't tell you is, from their Big Bang perspective, the universe, you know, being 15 billion years old, supposedly, they can only get light halfway across the universe using that, which means there's a problem. In other words, everyone has a problem. No one understands it. So that's why we need to take God his word. And we're not going to have an exact answer for everything because uh, we know just about nothing compared to what God knows. So we need to take him at his word and know there's nothing in observational science that contradicts the 6,000 years. Lawrence, does that answer your question? Yes, it's helping me a lot. Thank you very much. Lawrence in Perth, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Let's take another call, Ken. Gary is in Campbelltown in Sydney. Hi, Gary. Welcome. Yes, how are you, Sam? Good. Um, I was just wondering, I've, I've done a bit of a, my own little bit of um, Google search with this, but I, when I Google uh, trees around the, the earth, I've noticed that there's nothing, no living tree that's been able, I've been able to find that's any older than the Bible's uh, time of creation. Is that a good um, argument to, to use about the, that there's no tree that's sort of 
but that fits in with the evolutionist time frames? It can. Well, Does that make sense? Yeah. They will, um, what they will say is, oh, yes, but they will They will come up with tree ring dating and they look at uh, fossil trees and they look at rings and they will um, say that, um, you know, assume something about how many rings they have in these trees and therefore how long it takes for them to grow and so on. And so that they will come up with an answer to that and say, no, that doesn't work because of tree ring dating. But we've got to... Got to understand that tree ring dating has all sorts of assumptions because you can have more than one ring a year rings are growth rings and you can have more than one growth period a right. year and in, in the past there could have been a, a lot more growth periods during the year because the climates have changed they've, they've been changing ever since the flood the flood had dramatic changes and not only that when god first created uh, trees, tree rings actually are part of the structure. So I would presume that he had those tree rings already there anyway. So then you would say, oh, that's thousands of years old, but it's actually not. So we have to be careful with that yeah. one. Gary yeah. in Campbellton. Another question, though. Yep. I was just wondering, when you talk about the speed of light and the distance of light, uh, do we have to actually um, use speed of light to say, whether we can see a star or not. Like, when I, if I look at a building on top of a mountain, I can see more than 50 kilometres away with my bare eyes. Is it possible just to see a star from actually seeing the, the source of the light without actually factoring in speed of light? We sort of touched on this, but Ken, is sense. there something to add on to that? Uh, no, I, I, you know, uh, light um, speed, when you look at it, it's, it's a measure of distance, not time. That's the thing that people need to understand because we, we really don't know a lot about light and we really don't know a lot about space. And as I said, the processes God used in creation to make the light already be here so we can see it, we don't understand those processes. There's an awful lot we don't understand. Sometimes it just comes down to saying there's a lot we don't understand. That's why I said... Uh, from an evolutionist perspective, they've got massive problems talking about the same thing. So it means everybody doesn't understand some things about this. Gary in Campbelltown, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might have a question, a contribution. You might want to even say a few words, your own thoughts on what we've been talking about so far as being without excuse. 1-800-316-316. Ken, let's take another call. Simon is in Bagara in Queensland. Hi, Simon. Hi. Good morning. Simon, what are your thoughts? Do you have a question for Ken? I do have a question for Ken. Hi, Ken. Thanks for having Hi. me on. Uh, mine's got to do with the speed of light as well because with these telescopes and what haven't you, they tell us they're looking back like 13 billion, 14 billion years um, into the universe and can see what it was um, at, the, at the start of the universe. I'm wondering well, how we got here. I'm wondering how we got here faster than the light that we're looking at. A good thought, uh, Ken. A response there for Simon. I'm not sure you mean what you mean about we got here faster than uh, the, the, the light. But if okay, let's take let's take God at His word, right? If we believe God's word for a start. 
on day one, he said he made the heavens and the earth, uh, and the earth was our form of void, darkness upon the face of the deep, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. So God made the entity of light before he made the sun, moon, and stars. The entity of light exists. Um, it can exist independent of the stars. Think about, the, or, or, or the sun, think about the fact that when you're looking at a screen, the light from the projector on the screen, it was sent by the projector, but it's independent of the projector on the screen. Um, and so God made the entity of light uh, on day one. And there was a, an earth and there was night and darkness, it says. We're not told where the light came from uh, that was on the earth, but presumably it was um, the earth rotating and we're having a night and dark sequence. Then on day four, it's interesting, he says he made the sun and the moon to be the light, the light bearers to rule the day and the night that already existed. In other words, the day and night existed before the sun, and then God made the sun, and he made the moon. The moon reflects the light of the sun to be the light bearers for the day and night. And he made the stars on day four as well. And what's interesting is just that little phrase, oh, and he made the stars also. And when you look in scripture, the reason he made the stars, it tells us. He says, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. Because as you look at all those stars out there, and the more we get our telescopes out there and see the vastness of the universe and the billions and billions and billions of galaxies, it's speaking of a powerful God. Uh, and you've got to remember something. A lot of what you're told about light and about stars is all based on evolutionary assumptions. They'll tell you we're looking back and we're seeing stars forming. They're not seeing stars forming. What they do is they assume... When the star is this color, it means it's a young star. When it's this color, it's an old star. But that's the—that's what they have uh, already assumed according to their own evolutionary assumptions. They're not seeing stars forming. They're not seeing the universe forming. They're seeing all these things, different colors, different types out there, and then they're interpreting it with an evolutionary framework. And, and that's what we have to be careful of, that we haven't been indoctrinated that way. Simon, in Bagara, does that answer your question? Well, sort of. I, I guess... Like, I agree and under, sort of understand what he's talking about. But what I guess I'm saying is about... The, I see it as a massive hole in their theories if they're saying um, we're looking at something that happened 13 or 14 billion years ago with our telescopes, and, and that's how it was then. But the, the Earth wasn't out here as far as... as far out, as far out, you know, from the Big Bang, obviously, at that stage... But somehow we've managed to get here um, before the light that happened 13 or 14 billion years ago, and, and, and we're looking back at it. And it just seems to be a massive hole in their whole theory that nobody ever seems to pick them up on. How, you know, how, yeah. did we, how did we get I think you've made a very good point there, Simon, and uh, and I want to thank you for your call. Uh, I think you made a very good point. Uh, you know, how did we get here? And I think that comes back to our account of the creation, too, from the Bible. Yeah, Simon, absolutely. Simon, in Bagara, thank you so much for your call. Uh, just uh, before we move on here, um, the universe is so large, Ken, we'd say it's incomprehensible. We're only just scratching the surface we're only seeing a little bit of what's close by uh, God himself is described as incomprehensible the all-knowing all-powerful all-present God uh, he's incomprehensible the universe is incomprehensible sometimes we want to make God so small that we say he couldn't have created something that big but what we're talking about here is a very big God aren't we 
<laughs> well, we're talking about an infinite creator God who exists outside of time, who is not created. He exists in eternity. I mean, the more you think about that, the more it's it's just so, it is, it's incomprehensible. And, you know, when you think, I, I'm often asked by uh, kids or at programs, sir, um, if, if, God, if you believe in God, who created God? And I said, if well, someone created God, you have to have a bigger God, right? Well, yes, sir. I said, now you've got a problem. Who created the bigger God? A bigger, bigger God. Now you've got another problem. Who created the bigger, bigger God? A bigger, bigger, bigger God. And I said, you can keep going back further and further and further. The only thing that makes logical sense, you could have the biggest God of all. That's the infinite creator God, the God of the Bible, who is outside of time, who created all things. That's what the Bible says over and over again. He is the creator. And when you think... What does it mean to have infinite knowledge, infinite wisdom? I mean, Colossians 1, in Christ are hid all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. It means we know just about nothing compared to what God knows. And, and, and you know, uh, Neil, you know who really learned this and teaches us that lesson is Job. Do you remember when when Job was going to argue with God yeah. and then God said, Job, let me tell you, let me tell you about this and let me tell you about that and let me tell you about this and let me tell you about that. And do you know this? And do you know that? And do you know this? And do you know that? And then what happened? Job fell down in dust and ashes and said, I I repent. I know nothing. You are God. That's where we've got to get to to recognize we we know just about nothing compared to God. And that's why we've got to let him speak to us through his word. Let's see if we can squeeze in another call or two. Alex is in Melbourne, Victoria. Hi, Alex. Welcome. Uh, th- <clears throat> thank you, Neil. Uh, yes, uh, Ken, I'm just wondering about the Leviathan, uh, the monster, the, the Leviathan in Job, I think it is. And um, in Amos, chapter 9, verse 3, there's mention of a, a serpent that, who will bite at the, the, the depths of the sea, he will bite the unbelievers at the end of the time. So I'm just wondering, would that be the same? I, I, it's pretty hard for you to say, I, I suppose. But it's I, don't, I don't think... That, let's get... Uh, Ken, yeah. what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I, I don't really think so. Because um, in Amos, say, you're looking at some prophetic literature there in regard to explaining things. Whereas it, Leviathan is in Job 41, and you have another uh, creature called Behemoth in Job 40, and there's God uh, saying to Job, look at this creature, and, and then saying, and look at this creature. And so there were creatures that existed in Job's time that Job was familiar with, so there were real physical creatures that, that he was familiar with, and that's what I believe they are talking about. Alex, does that answer your question? Yes, thank you very much. Thanks for your call. And while we're talking about behemoth and leviathan, uh, some like to say they were aligned with elephants or rhinoceros or hippopotamuses. But uh, but is it closer, Ken, to suggest that here we have an illustration in the pages of the Bible that are describing dinosaurs? <laughs> Well, Neil, uh, behemoth, um, yeah, I know in the NIV study Bible in the notes, it says possibly an elephant or a hippopotamus, and a lot of others have said that. Uh, of course, you know, my father always reminded me the notes are not inspired like the text and always use the text as the commentary on the notes. So that's very important for us. Um, but behemoth moves his tail like a cedar. Now, if you look at, think of the big cedar trees, you know, the cedars of Lebanon swaying in the breeze, and you compare that to an elephant's tail or a hippo tail, you would just laugh um, because in no way does that fit. Not only that, 
um, behemoth, there's the, the description there says that basically it's saying it's the biggest creature that God made. And the biggest one that we know of, land animal that we know of um, from the fossil record would be a sauropod dinosaur. So we would say we think that description better fits the description of what we today call a dinosaur because the word dinosaur wasn't invented until 1841 anyway. So there was no word dinosaur back then uh, used in the Bible, but it could be. And we certainly say that's a possibility. I don't want to leave anybody out. Let's take one more call. Pete is in Victoria. Hi, Pete. What is your question? G'day, uh, uh, Ken and uh, Neil. Just quickly, the Bible says in Psalms, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. My question is, according to atheists, they believe humans evolved over millions of years. So why don't we see molecules evolve into digital clocks? All the resources are in the ground, and they are far less complex than human beings. Well, you know, um, the interesting thing is when you use the example of a clock, it's a good example to use, actually, because it consists of all these different uh, structures together, all these different parts that make up a neck mechanism. And it's all got to be there together or it won't work. And that's the same of our body. It's the same of any cell. Uh, it's the same uh, just looking at DNA. It's all got to be there or it won't work. So, yeah, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. There's no way matter could produce life. Pete in Victoria, thank you so much for your call. We'll put a line under calls there now because I wanted to ask you, Ken, about some of the developments you've got at the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum because you've got a new exhibit called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made at the Creation Museum. Uh, Just give us a little insight into what this is actually designed to do and uh, the way that it communicates. Well, we just opened a new, expanded, fearfully and wonderfully made exhibit. I mean, some 139. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, um, we we were woven together in our mother's womb when God saw our unformed substance before our body was even, even formed. It was still us. And we opened this exhibit. It's the most powerful pro-life exhibit in the world. People are pouring in here for this. People come out in tears, too, looking at it. We, and we show a model uh, of an egg all the way through to a baby ready to be born. And we even have what's called a Pepper's Ghost technology where you can actually see uh, organs inside the various uh, models that we have and you can see fertilization occur. And it shows you the development of a baby to help people understand we're 100% human made in God's image right from fertilization. It's it's an incredibly powerful exhibit. We have a, fi- a giant five-foot baby and five-foot uterus as well uh, showing how an umbilical cord works. And really, when you go out of there, you say abortion is killing a human being right from fertilization. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We all love this big, larger-than-life thinking that goes into your exhibits, Ken. Uh, you've got another one. You're, uh, you're building a the largest indoor model of Jerusalem in the world. Uh, Give us some insights here and what that's designed to do. Yes, we're producing a massive, we're designing it right now, and actually it's underway, uh, this massive model, of uh, indoor model of Jerusalem. It'll be in three big sections. It'll be over 2,000 square feet, and we've got to put in a big building. It'll have all sorts of technology to follow uh, through uh, Christ uh, and and, uh, him traveling through Jerusalem, and it'll have the temple there, and it'll have all sorts of uh, teaching about 
uh, the message of the gospel leading up to the cross. And this is going to be an, an incredible exhibit. And it's going to take 18 months to get the building built and to be able to uh, put this model in there with all the technology that goes in there. But, you know, people love Israel and they, they love Jerusalem and the, they'll be able to come here to the ark and actually see that. But not only that, Christianity is based in history. And, you know, one of the things we see happening in the world is people wanting to destroy history and they want to destroy the history in the Bible. And so we want to show people the true history here and that Christianity is based in history and that helps even understand the gospel even more. You're even building a, a Christian merry-go-round, a carousel that's designed to communicate some amazing things. Yeah, in fact, we just opened it. It was built in Italy. It's very unique. It's absolutely spectacular. And the animals, uh, our own sculptors carved many of the animals. They, they actually did it on computer and sent it to Italy, and then they molded these animals. So you can ride a dinosaur. You can ride a pterodactyl. <laughs> you can ride some extinct animals. And we have all sorts of teaching because they correspond to the animals we have in the ark and teaching on kinds. That God brought kinds into the ark, not all the different species, but kinds. And so it's a teaching carousel. Parents, kids, families, all ages love it. And you've got your indoor children's zoo as part of your Ararat Ridge Zoo at the Ark Encounter. And uh, that's going to give all sorts of opportunity, particularly since in the US you're coming into your winter time. It uh, gives kids an opportunity to be able to explore all those wonderful animals and even kangaroos you've got. Yeah, well, uh, we have a wonderful zoo at the Ark because we want to teach from a biblical worldview perspective. And the children's zoo is really something. And it's an indoor zoo with heated floors because, yeah, we're moving into winter and it gets very cold and we can get some snow and ice. Uh, but uh, they'll be able to even go indoors to see a lot of these animals and get up close to them. So it's, it's a special place. Okay, a uh, couple of things to draw attention to. Uh, your latest books, uh, we might have discussed one or two of these before. One's called Divided Nation and Creation to Babel. For listeners who want answers, answersingenesis.org, and there's a searchable database of great answers to all the sorts of questions that you might have about creation. Uh, answers.tv too it's an unlimited streaming channel you can watch from anywhere in the world uh, Aussies can also access that one uh, Ken yes in fact uh, we've got 5,000 programs on there and we're putting up a lot more in the future and the fact that Disney has gone woke uh, there's a lot of families who are looking for something that is going to be aligned with their values have you noticed there's any sort of extra increase in in traffic coming through the gates at, at the Creation Museum or at the Ark Encounter because, uh, you know, there's a bit of a protest going on against Disney? Oh, a lot of uh, a lot of Christians, you know, very conservative people as well, uh, are saying we want family-friendly places and they're coming to the Ark in droves and uh, they don't want to support these woke places anymore that are, that are, that are basically imposing sexual humanism on their kids. Well, let me give the address and no doubt you'll see images, some of the things that we've been talking about and you'll be able to find answers to the questions you have in the evolution creation debate. Answersingenesis.org. Answersingenesis.org. Ken Ham is CEO and founder of Answers in Genesis. Ken, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and uh, great to connect once again today on 2020. Hey, thanks, Neil. Anytime. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.